Holy God, we thank you for your loving, healing presence here in the midst of us. Open our hearts that we might be even more open, more understanding, more ready to receive your word and to live out your word in the world you love so very much. Amen. This morning's scripture is fairly well known. It brings with it some familiar images and what is perhaps the best known Bible verse. John 3.16 is right up there with the 23rd Psalm. For God so loved the world that God gave their only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I didn't even know that I had that memorized until this week (laughs) when I went to write it and it just came and it's kind of this mashup of the King James Version and the Revised Standard Version, the two Bibles that would have been within arm's reach of me as a child, but it's there. Maybe it's there for you to kind of deeply embedded in our bones just from having been around it so much. We know uh, John 3.16 from church and from the people around us. We also know John 3.16 from those signs that people hold up at baseball games. And you'll find plenty of options if you Google John 3.16 t-shirts or John 3.16 coffee mugs or even John 3.16 tattoos. That's a really interesting Google search. And the scripture also brings with it what has become a well-known and well-invoked image, this image of being born again. It's a, a Greek word that has two equally valid meanings, to be born again, to be born from above, and you see the confusion in the text between the two. But this born again, this concept of born again, it's become such a part of our public public consciousness that this scripture also comes with a good bit of cultural and religious baggage. This phrase, born again. A few years back, it became part of and was co-opted by a particular brand of American Christianity. It actually became a brand, the born-again Christian, a marker for inclusion and for exclusion. It became part of a theology that was used to set up categories that separate out, that include some and exclude others. Either you are born again or you're not, either you are in or you're out, either you are within the embrace of God's eternal love or you're not. And adding to that baggage, this image became attached to a popularized American theology that is fairly dominant in our country. And I've talked about this here before, I think it was a couple years ago, but it's a popularized theology that's based on heaven and hell. And the sense that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. Think about it. When you see Christianity portrayed on TV or in popular culture, isn't that a big part of it? Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. And then all that gets attached to an image of God as an enforcer of this system. Uh, can you, I think I'm hearing a buzz. There's feedback. Can you check that? Okay, great. Okay, we'll just, we'll just move through it. Yep. So it's part of our popular culture. Um, 
the sense that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And then we image God as someone who enforces it. We picture for ourselves this God who is willing to have some folks go to the good place and some folks go into eternal punishment. In our daily life, then, we start to image this God who's waiting around every corner to catch us doing wrong. Making a list and checking it twice, but in a very scary way. Now, I want to be clear. Presbyterians do not believe that. And I need to see you nod your heads. Presbyterians do not believe that. That imaging of God is works-based, as if what we do or what we don't do determines God's love for us. We don't believe that. It ignores entirely the life-giving and life-assuring concept of God's grace as embodied in Jesus Christ, which is one of the cornerstones, perhaps the cornerstone of our faith. But it's there in the popular culture and in some brands of Christianity, this image of God as a wrathful, punitive God. And it comes along, unfortunately, as part of the baggage that accompanies this well-known scripture. And we don't just need to unpack that baggage. We need to leave it behind. There's this family of writers, they're called the Lynn family, and what they say is that we need to heal our image of God. You see, if we claim that we are created in the image of God, and then we see God as punitive, we then start to become, to create ourselves in that image, in the image of a punitive, capricious, and conditional God. We become like the God we image. My friend Carol Howard Merritt has described how all that plays itself out in her book, Healing Spiritual Wounds. Carol and I both have evangelical roots. Did you know that about me? We both have evangelical roots that are part of the path we have traveled to a progressive, inclusive understanding of Jesus. In her book, Carol describes how this image of a punitive God, how the church made in this image has wounded and excluded so many folks. Now, I want to say that there are parts of my evangelical roots for which I am deeply grateful. That is where I first encountered Jesus and where I came to love Scripture. And... I come from a community that has been excluded by this particular brand of Christianity, LGBTQI plus people and our families. Carol names us as one of those, as an example of those who have been harmed. And then she describes her own experience of how this image of a punitive God has reinforced patriarchal structures that have worked to keep women like her in their place. And how it has protected people within the church who have harmed others in the name of Jesus. I have those scars, and maybe you do too. If we're going to talk about healing, all the ways that God is moving us and the whole world toward wholeness, we've got to make sure before we do anything else that we have the right God the right image of God. We may have to collectively heal our image as a part of our path to experiencing the fullness of who God really is and how much God really loves us and how much God absolutely and always longs for our well-being. 
So let's take all this baggage, now that we've named it, and set it over here for a moment. And turn fresh to this beloved passage of Scripture and look there for a healing word. This is the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a leader in his faith community who comes to Jesus in the night. Nicodemus knows and is embedded in the traditions of his community and and in his first experiences of Jesus, he has seen something of God. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night and says, we've seen your signs and we know you are a teacher who comes from God. And Jesus starts talking about being born from above, or as Nicodemus hears it, being born again. And we have this back and forth. But let's come back to that. Let's go right to the heart of the matter. John 3, 16, and work our way back. Now that we've put all that baggage over here, let's look at what John 3, 16 really says. And the first thing we notice is that it begins with God's love. God's love for the whole world. For God so loved the world. This is not in any way an exclusionary text. Throughout the Gospel of John, the world is not going to be particularly friendly to Jesus. And even so, even so, all this begins with God's love for the world. Everything we have to say about God and about Jesus begins and ends with God's love for the whole world. For God so loved the world that God gave God's only son. Now, this is the part that can get caught up in troubling notions of sacrifice. Maybe you've heard them, a vengeful God giving his son for a sacrifice for sin. You may have heard that before, but there's nothing in this scripture about that. God gives. God gives God's presence in our midst, in God's Son, in Jesus. The Word made flesh in the midst of us is a gift. God approaches us in Jesus out of God's love for the world, this gift. So that whosoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Now that's where the popularized theology can get us off track. We hear eternal life, and we may jump straight back to that paradigm that's limited to thinking about what happens to us when we die. Some future reality, some consequence somewhere out there, eternal life as afterlife. But that's not what eternal life is in the Gospel of John. That's way too small. In the Gospel of John, eternal life is about life right now. It's about entering into a quality of life, a new experience of life, life where the presence of this loving God changes everything right here and right now. And to believe isn't just to nod your head or to say some words, it is to trust. One scholar points out that in the Greek, it's really to believe into, to believe towards, To move towards God with our whole self as God moves towards us. God moves towards us with this gift of Jesus, with the invitation that we then move toward God. Because God loves the world and us. And if there is any lingering question about the punitive image of God, verse 17 affirms that God did not send Jesus to condemn the world, but so that the world could be saved through him. So that the world might be healed and made whole through him. One writer, in talking about how this is good news, says, you know, we already live in a bad news world. 
a bad news world, an angry news world, a scary news world. This scripture is in no way about bringing us more bad news. It's bringing good news, life-giving news, world-healing news, a new, a new way to live with God in the midst of what has been until now a bad news world. So let's bring all of that, all of that back into this conversation that Nicodemus has with Jesus. Nicodemus brings what he thinks he knows about God. He brings this glimpse that he can't quite understand of what he's seen in Jesus. And Jesus answers with more life than Nicodemus can comprehend. Nicodemus hears Jesus say, you must be born again, and immediately goes to the notion of the bodily impossibility of that. But it's a wordplay. What Jesus has really said is, you must be born from above. This new life, this new birth is all about connection with God. Jesus offers birth into this entirely new life, life infused with the Spirit of God as embodied in the Word made flesh in Jesus and in us. We can be born into that. You see, the birth that Jesus is talking about here is, is as expansive and as inclusive as you can get. He's talking about being birthed into this new experience, this new life, this eternal life from above, connected with God in Jesus, a direct experience of the Spirit in us. This new birth and new life begins and ends in God's love for us and for the whole world, God approaching us inviting us to approach God, Jesus, God's own spirit, all of us and every bit of us coming together, God making the whole world whole, our healing starts here. Carol Howard Merritt says it like this, God saves us not in a solitary act of murmured prayer, but through pulsing, vibrant community. It's not because of our individual striving or saying magic words. The act of salvation begins and ends with God, and we can participate in it if we wish, for God is pregnant with us and all creation. That's some good news. Our healing starts with being birthed out of God's love for the whole world into this kind of spirit-infused, God-infused living, God's healing, saving love all around us and all up in us. If we begin our search for healing with that image of a punitive heaven or hell God, we might miss out on the God who brings healing to the most tender places in our lives. We might miss out on the God who comes to us in Jesus Christ. We might miss out on the God who knows our own frailty and our own suffering as deeply as we know it ourselves, maybe, maybe even more deeply. If we begin our search for healing, if we see ourselves as made in the image of God, a healing, loving God, we open ourselves. We open ourselves to the opportunity that we might be able to see and to experience healing beyond what we ever could have imagined. God's healing love everywhere and all the time. Even, even when the specific change that we long for in our body doesn't show up. Even when the oppressive forces that we have been fighting against our whole life seem to win 
one more time, even when the bad news of today feels like it's more than we can take, God always with us, God always for us, God always loving us, God always, always making us and the whole world whole. We can bring all of the harm and the hurt that the church has done all the harm and the hurt that we know in our own bones, we can bring all that to this God and trust in the loving power of God to heal those hurts and to make us whole. About a month ago, I was at home doing laundry and folding clothes, and I looked up and saw a framed calligraphy Bible verse on the wall across the room. It says, you shall not perish. I remembered that the first time I saw that 20 years ago, I thought, now where is that in the Bible? John 3.16. You see, that framed calligraphy Bible verse was a gift from Reverend Roger Lovett to Jeff on the day that Jeff was baptized. Roger Lovett is a Southern Baptist pastor who gets that the church has harmed LGBTQI plus people in our families by telling us that we were somehow not within the embrace of God's love. Roger needed Jeff to know, needed us to know that all that, all that was wrong, that the love of God in Jesus Christ is good news for us too. And so Roger Lovett took his calligraphy pen and wrote, you shall not perish. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Now you have heard me say a lot of words in all these sermons I've been preaching. And I did warn you on my first day I'm a talker. But there are only three words that I need for you to remember, and they are these. God loves you. I need you to remember those three words and hold on to them for the day that you need them most. God loves you. Those three words are the spring from which all of our healing flows. They are living water for all our parched places. God loves you. And if anyone, if anyone has ever told you otherwise, well, I have walked out of that rubble too, and I'm standing here today to tell you they were wrong. God loves you. God's love for us in Jesus Christ is good news for you and for me and good news for the whole wide world. This is the healing truth of John 3.16. God so loves the world that God comes to us again and again in Jesus Christ. In bad news times, in scary news times, Jesus comes to us bringing the good news of God's healing love for us bigger, bigger than we ever imagined. New birth, new life, God's spirit with us and in us, loving us, saving us, healing us from everything that does us harm. God's healing love making us and the world whole. God so loves the world.